Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Welcome to the Rush Soccer Club Development Series. I'm your host, Nick Penn, Executive Director of Rush Soccer. We'll be focusing on specific areas of club development within the Rush. The goal is to use Rush leaders from across the US to help share ideas and advice on best practices of the Rush way. Let's get into it. You're listening to the Rush Soccer Club Development Series with your host, Nick Penn, the Executive Director of Rush Soccer, exclusively on the Rush Podcast. Welcome to the Club Development Series. I'm your host, Nick Penn, Executive Director of Rush Soccer. And in this episode, I'm excited to be joined by Russell Finch, Technical Director of Colorado Rush, Andy Machin, Technical Director of Washington Rush, and Raoul Voss, the Rush Soccer Global Sporting Director. In this episode, we'll discuss elite player development and share the advice and thoughts of these guys on methods they have found to be successful in developing some of Rush's top male and female players. This is Nick Penn. I'm the Executive Director of Rush Soccer and excited to be joined by Russell Finch, Technical Director of Colorado Rush, Andy Machin, Technical Director of Washington Rush, and Raul Voss, our Global Sporting Director. We're going to talk a bit today about elite player development. So uh, let's kick this off right away. We'll start with you, Russell. Um, which is the most critical age, do you think, for uh, development of the elite player? Um, well, I think it's, it's a question that has many answers because of what is required to be an elite player. You know, if we look at different age groups, I think 8 to 13 is, is definitely the, the focus on technique and being clean technically. Then as you get a little bit older, it's... The game kind of speeds up a little bit. Everybody goes through their their growth maturation, so the game becomes a little bit quicker with better athletes. So then you have to perform that technique in a, a more stressful and strenuous environment. So there's a different component to technique and being able to do it at a faster pace. And then I think as you get older, I think elite player development, a lot of the mental side um, we see when kids get into middle school and high school, and how to cope as the game gets more challenging and also uh, the demands of the game are greater as you get older and, and everything that else is involved in the in college recruiting process and then performing at a high level day in, day out. Um, I think that's how I would I'd summarize it from the age groups. Awesome. Uh, Andy Machin, what's your thoughts? <laughs> I wouldn't disagree with Russell on much of that at all. I think obviously the technical piece of it is is huge. I think 8 to 13 is a if if you're not kind of if you're not moving in the right directions around those ages, then I think it's it's not impossible, but I think it's difficult to catch up. Uh, but yeah, I think Russell's answer is spot on. Awesome. Hey, awesome. So, um, Finchy, you talked a little bit about uh, the technical side of things. When when you talk about the technical age groups and what you're working with them, what's some of the things specifically you're uh, referring to with that younger age group when you're really working technique? Um, if it's the the youngest age group, I think the the opportunity to learn as many techniques as you can because of their motor skills and they're kind of fine tuning everything. And it's a it's an age kind of eight to, to thirteen. Definitely on the boys' side is when they don't go through a growth spurt, so their fine motor skills can can really be defined in terms of the you know, the application of the technique with the girls, it's a little bit different because they mature a little bit earlier. Um, but I, I think that everything, if you look at the rush way age group expectations, you know, there's a component of dribbling, 
um, turning, finishing, you know, every single technique that we would we would consider important to the rush player um, is in those age group expectations from from U8 all the way up to U13. And then as you as you learn those those skills and techniques, you know, there's there's the component of doing it under pressure in tight spaces. Not to say that it can't be done in under pressure and tight spaces, but the more success that they have learning the technique, I think that that it's that it allows uh, kind of a steeper curve in the learning um, as opposed to too much failure at a young age because we're trying to make the game look like like it should be for the for the big kids. Um, so every every single technique, if you can have a an a 11, 12 year old being able to volley the ball, the timing of volleying, um, striking a ball and landing on his or her kick, kicking foot, being able to to dribble in in tight spaces as opposed to opening up and running with the ball, um, different parts of the body to control the ball with. If you can sample as many techniques from a young age and create games and exercises that are fun, that engage the young player, I think that the the learning curve is a lot steeper. That's awesome. Um, Andy, I know that you do quite a lot of stuff uh, opposed. In fact, you're opposed to unopposed. So um, <laughs> give, give us some thought on what you do in Washington when you when you talk about your unopposed, your opposed stuff with the technique. Uh, yeah, I... Uh... I think I think the biggest piece for us is is not completely unopposed. I agree with Russell's sentiment on as a young player you need success and you need to be able to see that you're achieving something and I think the bigger thing for us is that we just want our players to kind of be introduced to having to think and having to deliver those techniques under pressure. So in our younger programs in our 77s and our 99 kind of age groups we ask those those groups once a week at least to be completely opposed throughout the session and I, I think be, kind of being careful behind what we mean by completely opposed like there's a level of pressure it's not necessarily the full game throughout the session is what we're asking for but to introduce pressure from the beginning so is it are they making a choice where they have to it's not I'm just dribbling at a cone and I'm doing a scissor or I'm doing a step over and then I'm executing that by passing a ball to a teammate. It's 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 an either or. Like if this path is cut off, then I choose to make this path instead and I can do that by executing a scissor to to get what I want out of it. It's the the cognitive piece of being able to make a choice. If something's taken away from me, this is where I go instead, or vice versa. So I think that's the bigger piece for what we're looking for, is we want decision makers on the ball. That's what we all strive for when we look at our older players. Can they make choices? Can they do this? And I think I think it's a poor excuse to say that players can't do that from a young age. I think giving giving people the choice and giving people opportunity, I think kids will always surprise you they can always do things that you don't expect they can do. So that's kind of our philosophy behind it, is giving players the opportunity to make decisions. Right. Awesome. That's great. Andy, what are the player pathways available in your clubs for the younger player that strives to be elite or uh, has got that, that passion and that drive and that, uh, that goal to be one of the top players? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, from from our standpoint, on uh, on the boys' side, we have a very good relationship with the Seattle Sounders. Um, 
all all of our younger kind of age groups uh, participate in the Sanders Development Program, which is where they bring players in a couple of times a week to work with their staff. Uh, obviously, from our standpoint, in in increasing player development opportunities, we participate in the national leagues, in the Northwest Conference, in all these different leagues and different areas to get showcase opportunities. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, in-house, how are we developing players, how are we pushing those players onto the next level is by forcing them into environments that are more challenging for each player, I think would be would be our answer. Hey, Russell, over to you. Um, Colorado has the luxury of having uh, the DA at some of the levels. So what other ways are you uh, able to give a pathway for your elite players? Um, well, Colorado Rush just had... Uh, Five players go over to um, Lyon and Dijon in France. Uh, you know, they were female players. So they were able to train with uh, Dijon that plays in League One and also Lyon's um, academy, which is probably one of the best in the world and kind of mirrors the boys. So that's that's certainly something that, that we will continuously do if we feel that players want to potentially play pro or even even follow the pathway of missing college and going to the professional ranks on the on the boys side um you know we we i think we're a little bit like andy we we don't have the junior da anymore our, our um our junior da program went away in colorado so it's a little bit more challenging for the boys i would say like the opportunities to continue to um follow that pathway would be you know, we come from the standpoint that we have to meet halfway. We obviously see players all the time that are very talented and gifted. And and sometimes, you know, we have to take a step back and not want it more than them. So we have the Tudor program. So if players reach out and say, I want to trade more, they can they can train with other teams, which is across the board with Rush Clubs. Um, we have programs like the Senna that's done before school in the morning. So there's a lot of opportunities. I think that's what you, you want to, to do in any... Um, sport or education is just allow these players to have these opportunities and the ones that take them will be the ones that ultimately um, get better and also continue to love the game more because they're around it, you know, two, three, four times as much as, as another player. So I don't know if there's a, a magic formula. I, I know uh, Raul, you know, said there's, you know, there's not one size that fits all. I think if you were to look back at the success that we've had with the elite player, even before my time at the club, it would not mirror anything that US soccer is doing with periodization or, um, you know, the amount of time they're at the field and monitoring that. Our top players that have come through our club have been doing three sessions in the evening, the morning sessions, um, you know, training privately with, with DOCs and coaches. So I don't know. I think the most important thing is if, if you love it and you, and you want more of it, that you can, you can access it. And that would be my last point. Raul says they're playing in the streets in Europe in Central America and South America. It's not in our culture for a kid to come home from school and play. So we have to find other avenues for our, our players that love the game and are hungry to, to play more and train more to be able to do that. And that is tough in this country. Absolutely. Um, Raul, give us, a, give us a little idea of uh, Rush Soccer as a national organisation from, you know, the clubs through Select to um, some of the European yeah. opportunities. What, what's the pathway look so, like there for the Yeah, we have a great uh, pathway. Um, 
and it allows our players to stay within the rush network and and really to to reach their full potential without ever leaving leaving the rush um so we are well we were supposed to um until the coronavirus hit uh, to operate four usl league two teams across the us which is fantastic uh, the usl league two is a former pdl so it's a semi-professional league um the top the top college players usually play there as well as some some players uh, who come from overseas so the level is pretty high it goes over the summer month um and it's good for our absolute top uh, da players or the top younger players who are not in the da currently to showcase themselves um and additionally for the ones who are in college right now and who are trying to make the jump to a professional level. It's, I think it's a lot easier to get scouted there and to get seen. We also have um, the counterpart of the USL League 2 is the WPSL. Um, it's basically the second highest level of women's soccer in the US. It's it's a very strong, very strong league and we're operating two teams in the WPSL. We also have, um, through Capelli, the the HP Kyrgyz partnership. Uh, Kyrgyz plays in the second division in Denmark, which is is a good level, but it's also a realistic level for us um, to send players. So the level is is very good to send a top college player, for example, over to Kyrgyz to try out with the club. And we had some success in the past and sent a recently a rush player from Rush Brazil and then Rush Miami to Kyrgyz who got signed there. Um, additionally, we have uh, also through Capelli MSV Duisburg, um, who have a first division team on the women's side, the men's side. They play in the U19 Bundesliga, which is a very good level, and American players are allowed to play U19 Bundesliga level. Um, on the women's side, they play as the highest division in Germany, the female Bundesliga. So you play against Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg and all the the big teams in the Bundesliga. They're very open to receive our players. And also in the youth, Duisburg is great on the women's side. We are also in the works of opening a USL League One team here in the United States. Um, due to Corona, most likely uh, by spring of 22. Um, so, yeah, several fantastic opportunities that players can really reach their full potential here with what we have um, with our new infrastructure. Russell, let's go back to you. Um, uh, give us one program uh, that you do uh, at Colorado Rush that you feel that most of your elite players have gone through at some stage. So well, specifically for your elite players that keeps them above the curve to your rivals across town. Um, we have the elite player program that we refer to as EPP, which is essentially the top 09 to 03 boys and girls. Um, it's probably a pool of 30 players throughout the club and it's two times a week. It doesn't cost anything. It's ran primarily by Tim Schultz, um, with the help of, of other DOCs and it got to the point uh, where we split the groups into two. So it'd be the top 09s to 06s and then the top 05s to 03s. Um, primarily girls uh, for the most part. Um, but I would say our, our girls program is a little bit better than our boys right now. But our boys has, has had a massive year recently. So I, I expect to see some more boys. But essentially all it is is an hour and a half. Um, the kids come and going back to your first question about technique, it is all technical based training. Um, 
So it's it, Nick, you've seen it before, kind of Tim Schultz style, you know, feeding five balls out across your body and hitting them um, near body shots and, and lots of different um, finishing components, I would say, because it's it's very enjoyable for the kids and we want them to be engaged. And then it always finishes with kind of six v six, small sided to small goals. And the focus would be on little nuances of the game. So playing small to look big, um, you know, from anything from the, a wall pass, anything that can uh, promote creativity instead of just this 100 miles an hour, um, small-sided soccer that sometimes our kids play when they get the opportunity. So it's it's a, a program that's commun- communicated like any team through a team snap. That would be the program that I think allows us to identify the players first. And it's just not ability, it's through passion. If there's a kid that always wants to train, then that they can come into it. It's obviously our top players um, and and so on. So it's that's one program I'd say that that kind of clubs around the state are not doing and that we've taken on in the last probably 18 months. That, that's wonderful. I know that the Virtual Learning Centre last week, I think it might have been Friday, was um, uh, dealing with bouncing balls. So um, that's stuff that you don't get to train every day, but uh, that happens every day in the game. Um, so awesome. What about you, Andy, sure. uh, Washington? What's some of the stuff that you do that keeps you apart from the competition? Uh yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we're not in a position where we can have a, a, a centre, uh, I think, for multiple different reasons. But uh, we'd definitely love to have something like that, but just don't have the ability to do it. Um, I think from our standpoint, most of it's based on on creating a, creating the opportunity for the player to be better. So uh, if it's giving, giving more access to training sessions, if it's training with older teams, if it's training with different gender teams to, to create a better environment for that player and then trying to create an individual development uh, profile for each player where they can kind of take some leadership over their learning and over how they improve and over how they take care of all those different situations, whether it be from a technical standpoint or a tactical standpoint. Uh, I think that's that's kind of where we go with it, is to try and put it in the player's hand, but just try and guide them in the direction that we want them to go. Um, yeah, that's all, all we kind of provide for them from that standpoint. Awesome. I know the IDPs are very, very valuable, especially for that motivated kid that uh, especially right now as well you know that's this that's one of our key things right now going through this pandemic situation is trying to manipulate everybody's idps to to bring out something that will be useful during this time whether it be you know game understanding and watching games and trying to lead them down that path through their idp or whether it be from a technical standpoint individually where they can improve awesome Awesome. All right. Well, let's move on to the last question, Raul. Let's start with you here. Um, all right. Give us what's your number one piece of advice for uh, if a club wants to increase their number of elite players. What What would your recommendation be? Yeah, I don't think there's just one thing how you all of a sudden increase your players' um, level overall to to produce more professional players or top level players. One thing I I'm a firm believer of is, um, especially in the younger age groups, I think there should be a lot more game time of two v two, three v three, a lot of touches on the ball, um, because I think that involves everything that you need in a game. So less. 
tactical in the younger age groups, less passing the ball from A to B and follow the pass and those kind of things. So way more decision-making by yourselves and that that's the best way play games play a man down play against some stronger players you have to move the ball quicker play against some weaker players so you can dribble a little more so a lot more to imitate the, the kind of the street soccer i think that's that's tremendous um and that's something i see a little bit missing at times i feel things are a little bit overcoached andy what's your uh, number one piece of advice for clubs that uh want to increase their number of elite players Work hard, be consistent, and uh, be supportive. Awesome. That's, that's more than one, but we'll let you off there. Benji, um, <laughs> last up there. So uh, what's your piece of advice? Um, well, I, I agree with, with both uh, Raul and Andy. I, I, I agree in the fact that just play. I think if you just played at, at 8 to 12, just played small-sided, minimal coaching, I think you'd be in a good place by U13. I also think consistency at Andy's point if you're consistent and you're providing these opportunities I think the players see that and and they get you get more buy-in I think the one thing for elite players is you've got to make them love the game so if you can do anything that that extracts that passion for the game and makes them fall in love with with football then I think that that your job is done it's certainly not easier but it's done because they're always going to be looking to have the soccer ball at any time during during their day or or their week, and and that's the most important thing is is when kids love football like they do around the world, then then they just they just always want to get better. Awesome. Well, I, I know um, we have four Europeans on the phone here at the moment, and we grew up with it, um, <laughs> stuck to our foot morning, day, and night. It was on TV, it was on the radio, it was everything. So uh, trying to help those guys create that passion. Um, in this country, uh, this can go a long way. Thanks for listening to the Rush Soccer Club Development Series. I was your host, Nick Penn, Executive Director of Rush Soccer. Be sure to like and follow our page to stay updated on all our latest podcasts. If you have something specific you would like to be covered in this series, please feel free to reach out. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to sharing more thoughts and advice next time. You're listening to the Rush Soccer Club Development Series with your host, Nick Penn, the Executive Director of Rush Soccer, exclusively on the Rush Podcast Network.